On today's episode of The Pactum, we are talking about final justification, yoga, Charles Finney, and who knows what else. Man, what a smattering of topics we got today. Maybe I should have said, Mike, tell me, what do final justification, what does yoga and final justification have in common? (laughs) We're going to talk about them I don't even have legitimate English. I can't even speak today. (laughs) Welcome to The Pactum. I'm Pat Abendroth with Mike Grimes. It's episode 148, and we are doing a question and answer episode talking about things like final justification justification yoga not yoga yogurt <laughs> yoga charles grandison finney sanctification uh, already not yet we've got a lot of things in store so yeah. thank you for submitting questions yes this is a pactum responsum episode listener questions if you have questions you can email us connect at the pactum.org and when you don't get an email response it's because we're saving your question it's not a, for an episode we're it's giving a, you no responsum yeah we're giving you no response and we'll respond later here on the pack and where we like to make up words because we want them to sound Latin, even if they're just made yeah. responsive. We're creative. At one time, we were trying the absolvum. I do kind of like the absolvum. I like the thing. absolvum. I pardon you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well. The first thing I'll say today as we answer some questions would be to say, you should ask your pastor questions. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So we are pro pastors, pro faithful pastors. So we want to help you. If you're a pastor answering questions, we want to help you to answer questions. Just even if you're not a pastor of Christians with all that said, we are pro pastor and we don't know you. We don't know you personally. We don't know, you know, the intimacies of your life unless you are a member of the church where we are. So remember to ask your pastor, they know you better than we do. And, uh, that would be a good idea. Yeah, for sure. So we've got about nine questions or so here nine, we're going to answer today. We're going to work nine. our way through. We're going to start off with a question from Matt. He says, hello, Pactum team. I appreciate your current and past dealing with the myth of future justification or even the lie of future justification. Uh, I just had a couple texts that I'm wondering about. How are we to understand these passages in a non-future justification sense? And he has two passages, one from Acts 20 and one from Hebrews 13 that he references. Before we actually look at the two passages, we will say, I'll have to correct Mike Grimes, you know, famous co-host of the Pactum. And Matt didn't actually say lie. No. Oh, just just for clarity's sake. <laughs> right, he didn't. But there's a context, right? And the context <laughs> yes. is when we assigned Mike Abendroth at the last conference to talk about the myth of final future justification or final justification, which one was it? I can't remember. It was future at the episode or at the conference, but we've said final and future okay. interchangeably. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he, as the speaker, took the prerogative and said, I'm going to call it the lie of final justification. He did. Yep. So, all right. So let's begin by pointing, uh, pointing listeners to that um, conference talk. We'll yes. put a link to that in the show notes. Yes, we will. Yep. So where Mike Abendroth addressed that, he addressed it with levity, with sobriety, and with all the other Lees. Yes, all those Lees. Is what he yes. did. It was excellent, and we would point you in that direction. But there are people who talk about there's a, an, an immediate justification, and then there's a final justification, uh, depending on who you're talking about. Uh, to or who you're listening to. Some mm, might say yeah. you're initially justified at your baptism and then you're finally justified if you ever are by your good works. There are others who say you're initially justified by trusting in Christ and then you're finally justified by your faithfulness or your good works. 
So whether we're talking about Rome in the baptism sense, or we're talking about people like Richard Baxter, Mm -hmm. or even variants of it, maybe they don't talk about final justification and using that label, but people like John Piper... um, I just pulled something up here from Tom Schreiner. He talks, he uses Romans 2.13 to justify, see what I did there, mm. uh, saying that Paul, Paul says that those who obey the law will be justified before God on the last day. I think that's a misuse of that, a gross misuse of that passage, actually. So there are people, whether they're Roman Catholic or Protestant, who say you are justified, yes, by faith, but you're also justified, finally justified uh, by faith and works. Mm, and we oppose yeah. that. Uh, we think that is sub-Protestant. We think that's not biblical. Sub-Protestant. We think that Romans 8.1 says we are therefore now, uh, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We take that to be that future is already spoken about now. So right. judgment day, there's no condemnation. That's the negative side, or it's a positive way of stating the negative right yeah right? so yeah. justification is the positive declaration so therefore there is no condemnation but that's a present reality why because the work of christ is already done yeah so we already know the verdict we already know what's going to happen on judgment day in fact it's already been declared now and it happens when you trust in christ so we think there's one justification yes. uh, not two And that's why we can have assurance. And that's why Romans 8 goes on and on and on and on and And on. on. Nothing can separate you, even future judgment day. Right. Nothing can separate you from the love of uh, Christ. Yes. Yeah. So getting to the text that uh, Matt asked about, he asked about a couple passages in relationship to this uh, future justification issue. And Hebrews 13, 17, that says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And then Acts 20, 26, and 27, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Maybe we'll speak to both of those, what they do or don't have to do with final justification, how that all works out. Yep. So, Matt, both of those texts obviously have to do with doing the right thing, um, obey. So uh, Christians are supposed to obey their leaders, and then their leaders are supposed to obey the Lord um, by keeping watch over people's souls and doing a faithful job with that. So these are obedience requirements, but the Apostle Paul in no way, shape, or form is thinking somehow uh, people will not be finally justified on Judgment Day because they didn't obey or because he was not a good enough soul watcher. Hmm. So it's not even really on the radar. It's just a matter of obedience. And there's lots of obedience texts in the Bible. We would affirm them. They're good and right. But obedience texts for Christians are not for our justification Christ's work is for our justification, and it comes to us freely. So we want to obey because we are justified. We Mm, want to obey as the fruit of faith, if you will. We've been regenerated by the Spirit, but we have zero fear of judgment day and somehow not doing enough, obeying enough, doing good enough soul care, doing enough evangelism. That's just not even on the radar. Mm. So do the right thing. Because you're safe. Do the yeah. right thing because you are an heir because you're united to Christ by faith. So you, we could list hundreds of obedience texts, not just those two, and we would answer the same way. Sure, yeah. 
So God requires strict, perfect obedience. If we didn't have a substitute, yeah, we, I'd be nervous. Have I evangelized enough? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have I done enough soul care as a pastor? Have I obeyed my leaders enough? The reality is Jesus has done everything enough so we trust him. And now that we're in the family, we want to obey. So our mm. last episode, which would be episode 147, we talked about the three uses of the law right? Yeah. and the, the desire to obey the law out of guidance. So yeah, I want to do these things because they're good, they're right, they honor God, but it has nothing to do with us somehow earning justification. Right, yeah. So I, if I were you, uh, I, Matt, I would look into, if you haven't yet, do, do a deep dive into the doctrine of justification. Read J.V. Fesco's book would be a, a good book to read. Um, keep, keep working at the good categories that covenant theology affords us with, the covenant of works, the covenant of grace, covenant of redemption, law gospel kinds of issues. And I think it'll really help you uh, settle this matter of how do we deal with commands? How do we deal with obedience? Yeah. For sure. All right, let's move on to a second question. This one comes to us from Bill. Bill asks, in, quote, the new creation and already not yet, quote, episode with Michael Beck, uh, Michael Beck referenced several authors in his message. What were the books that he referenced, and is there a resource that further develops Michael's focus upon the hope of a Redeemer and how at each point along redemptive history where man died and failed to crush the serpent's head until the true Messiah came and delivered? Wow, Bill. What I'm going to do right now with uh, our several listeners, uh, <laughs> what we're going to do here with our thousands of listeners, I'm going to give you Michael Beck's um, cell phone number. There you could just oh, call him. It. <laughs> It'll be in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't want to do that to Mike. So yeah, he did reference a, a lot of different authors and I don't know all of the authors off the top of my head, but I will say that you can check out Mike's book. That'd mm -hmm. be a good place to go. Yeah. Covenant Lord and Cultic Boundary is the title okay. of that. Okay. And then really what, what Mike is doing, he's, he's channeling Meredith Klein. And so if you've never read anything by Meredith Klein, that will kind of get your juices uh, going, if you will. So Kingdom Prologue is the place to start when it comes to Meredith Klein's books. Uh, so I would check that out. And mm -hmm. in addition, uh, Michael Beck's talk is very Vossian. So V-O-S. Um, if you read Voss's book, Biblical Theology, that also is going to help you connect some dots. But I guess if you really want to get down to it, if you want the easiest approach, the easiest version, if you will, to get right at it, I would recommend, we would recommend uh, J.V. Fesco's book, Last Things First. Hmm, yeah. So the subtitle of that book is Unlocking Genesis with the Christ of Eschatology. Hmm. So really, I, that might be the place to start if you'd like to. I'm not so sure that Michael Beck referenced that book during his talks, um, but we're pretty sure he's he's utilizing Fesco's work there. Sure, yeah. And Fesco's util, utilizing Klein. Yeah. So check that book out. You may also want to put some pieces together. It might be a good supplement. Zach Keel has a book called The Unfolding Word, which is just a survey of the whole Bible, but he's doing it from a redemptive historical perspective. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so that's a good one. Uh, you can listen to our interview that we did with Zach Keel also if you're interested. Yeah. We'll make sure for those of you listening to put a link in our show notes to all these titles and resources we are recommending on today's episodes. Usually a lot of those recommended on our Pactum Responsum shows. Uh, another question. This one comes from Jordan. Uh, first of all, the, I just... The country? I don't know, but okay. the name is Jordan. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. I just wanted to make sure. First, I just want to say thank you for the conference. I thoroughly appreciated it. 
Uh, I really enjoyed and gathered a lot from Michael Beck's two sessions. I was wondering if there were any resources, books, podcasts, sermons, etc., that expand on what he was talking about. These themes really piqued my interest and wanted to look into them further. Thank you, Jordan. I was having the Indiana Jones song like in my queued up in my head because of Petra. Dun, 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 dun. So... <laughs> Oh, kidding aside, it seems like it seems like we just talked about this. We did. Oh, that was the question. The question right before just before Jordan's. This one. So we would say all of the same things, right? So you really want to check out Voss. You want to check out Klein's Kingdom Prologue. But the place to start is J.V. Fesco's book, Last Things First. There you go. Talking about eschatology, and he's not talking about millennial views. He's talking about entering into the Sabbath rest. Yes. Right? So Adam was called to obey, to have dominion over, and after his work was completed, he would enter into Sabbath rest, glory, if you will, which didn't happen as we know, but the Lord Jesus Christ does fulfill the dominion mandate. The Lord Jesus Christ does do all of the things, and that's why he can enter, lead his people into Sabbath rest, ultimate eschatological Sabbath rest, if you will. It is why Jesus himself said, come to me and I will give you rest. rest and he yeah. didn't just mean because it's a Saturday, right. He, right? The ultimate. And that's the kind of stuff that, that Michael Beck was getting at. We yeah. look forward to having uh, Michael Beck have something of his own in print one day on such things. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just listened to just today. Uh, Mike was on um, Christ the Center. Yeah, uh, yeah, Camden Busey interviews him. It's a great interview. So if you want to check that out, we can we'll we'll send you in that direction as well. Yeah, and so for all of you who may be listening to today's Pact and Responsive and wondering what are these sessions, what are these things that we're talking about, we'd remind you that uh, some of these questions are coming off of our 2023 conference, All Things New, that just happened recently at Omaha Bible Church. You can listen to all of those sessions on the pactum.org. If you go to our resources, you'll see a drop-down that offers you a link to the 2023 messages. So we'd encourage you to go and listen if you're not sure what some of these questions are referencing on today's episode. Or if you episode. don't know what eschatological logical Sabbath rest is or you something listen, like that, right? you can listen. Yeah. Great up, great content there for you to listen to. Yep. All right. Next question comes to us from Jacob. Jacob asks, simply put, who is the apple of God's eye and why is it not a particular nation in the Middle East? That is pretty presumptive. Presumptuous? <laughs> presumptuous, I think is the right way to say it. Thanks for the question, Jacob. It's kind of an interesting little study just to think, okay, apple of God's eye, uh -huh. the apple yeah. of the eye. So it's used in different ways in the Bible, but really what that the apple of your eye is getting at, it's something that's really important. And so in Proverbs 7, verse 2, keep my commandments and live, keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. So it's what's special to you. You mm. should prize it and value it. Uh, similarly with wisdom in Psalm 17, verse 8. But really what Jacob's getting at is the Deuteronomy 32 text, probably. Deuteronomy 32.10 says, He found him in a desert land, and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him, he cared for him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. So we're talking about Israel. We're talking about why the Bible talks about Israel as the apple of God's eye. And we'll respond by saying, yeah, true. Absolutely. Uh, Israel is special. Israel has played a very special role in redemptive history. We think Israel is unique, uh, not to be repeated, not to be uh, imitated, or, and all that kind of stuff. But 
they served a specific purpose, a uh, redemptive historical purpose for a specific time in anticipation as Israel was the son, uh, as Israel was the servant in anticipation of the ultimate son who would be loyal, unlike the first one, who mm. would be the ultimate servant, who would be faithful, unlike the first one. And so we would say that this place in the Middle East um, that we might love because of history sure, yeah. and because uh, we think it's a special place, um, I don't think uh, this place in the Middle East uh, is the apple of God's eye any longer. They serve that unique purpose, looking forward to the ultimate prize, if you will, yeah, the ultimate sure. important one who would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. So that's the answer to that question. And we answer it that way because of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is pretty hard to unsee, if you will, because it takes all of this sort of thing into account. Uh, there's going to be an ultimate high priest who would come and, and he is Jesus. Uh, and so that's why we would respond in that sort of way. So all of the types, the shadows in anticipation, uh, they were the, what's the, how, how do fancy educated people say it, Mike? Um, the penultimate. The penultimate. Right? So yes. Christ is the ultimate apple of God's eye, mm -hmm. if you will. He's the ultimate son. Uh, and so the penultimate might be Israel, if you will. I'm not even sure if that's the best way to say it, but I'd, I'm going to say it for now. There you go. Because that's how we're rolling. <laughs> All right. Next question comes to us from Bree. Bree says, hi, Pactum guys. I like, I like, that's a cool name. It is a cool name. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast for a while. I have not found – now, th this is this is fascinating, interesting, right? I have not found one that I disagree with. Oh, oh that, that's nice. I thought you were going to like – it was going to be insulting. So no, number one, Bree, I like your name. It's a wonderful name. And then that you're listening to the podcast and, and you agree with us? Yes. She said, I, we probably need to be more edgy. I will probably need to be more edgy, more controversial. We'll try right? to say something that offends you today, <laughs> Brie. No, I'm kidding. She says it's been encouraging to her, but she, her question is about yoga. Here's where the yoga comes, okay? okay. I've, I haven't listened to every single podcast yet, so maybe you've already touched on this. We haven't. But is yoga satanic? If a Christian does yoga for stretching or exercise, does that mean we are performing a sinful, satanic act? And is it the same with Kama Sutra? Is a Christian supposed to be careful? Can we say that on the pact of? I just okay. did. Okay. <laughs> is a Christian supposed to be careful with both of these both of these controversial exercises? I've been hearing it from both sides, and really just want clarification about it. Thanks for all you guys do. Okay, thanks, Bree. If well, if we all now take a moment, unless we're driving, and open our Bibles to Third Timothy, <laughs> it is where the Bible addresses <laughs> yoga. Joking aside, we would want to say if the Bible doesn't specifically say, we want to be very careful about you know being dogmatic and saying right, right. what we think. So let's start there. Uh, I would encourage you to talk to your pastor, to mm -hmm. pray, to be informed of the arguments. It sounds like you are pretty informed about these things. So there is that. We also on the Pactum take seriously issues of conscience and the yep, matter yep. of the freedom of the conscience. Uh, that's a big part of being Christians, but also a big part of being in the Reformed tradition, Protestant Reformation. You know, Rome had been binding people's consciences hmm. um, and making them believe things and do things that weren't explicit in the Bible. We don't want to be those kinds of people. We want there to be freedom of conscience. Uh, and I realize some people are listening to this and thinking, but it's clearly unbiblical. Hmm. Well, 
again, what, maybe it's not so clear or there wouldn't be such disagreements with sure, sure. by, yeah, by yeah. faithful Christians. Yeah. So, and it is interesting, Mike, how oftentimes um, the grayer the issue, the more dogmatic our stances. Yeah, right. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. let's be dogmatic about things we know for sure are black and white biblical issues yep. and be a little bit more cautious when it comes to issues that we uh, don't know so clearly. So if you want the, I think the, the super strong anti view as, as I've listened and I recall would be by Albert Moeller, who I respect and I think highly of Albert mm-hmm. Moeller. Yeah. So if you want to hear the other, uh, or the, the super anti side by me, it might be Al, Al Moeller. Um, but I've known Christians uh, who literally lived in India. They were American missionaries, mm-hmm. yeah. and they were all in, all about the gospel, more socially conservative than I am, mm. um, and all of that kind of stuff. And you know what? They they would go to yoga classes mm. in India, in India, like the like real deal, the hey. real deal. And so, again, godly people. So there's that. I would say there's probably different. I know there's different kinds of yoga. And, um, sure. I mean, some of it was like, oh, like super sexual, bad, not helpful, right, avoid right. it. And then there's other kinds that it's all about emptying your mind and they're explicit about such things. And we don't want to empty our minds right. as Christians. Yeah, we want yeah. to fill our minds with the right things. Obviously we shouldn't be doing, you know, false religion kinds of sure. things, yep, right. but at the same time, exercise, Mike is amazing. It, I, <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Theoretically, Mike could agree. Uh, I, don't I mean, so, I mean, it, it really is, it, right? When we look into matters of just natural law, exercise does amazing things and it makes right. us feel it's better yeah. and uh, all of that sort of thing. So if you want to stretch and do exercise because it makes you feel good and you're not doing the religious stuff and you're not trying to empty your mind, um, maybe call it something else, but... Um, I'm doing artful stretching. <laughs> oh, you're doing artful stretching <laughs> that you learn from unbelievers because yeah. we learn a lot of things from unbelievers. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, I mean, those same missionaries that I was friends with in India, they, they I mean, walking down the street and they, they would say namaste to people. Like, really? Mm. I worship the God within you? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm like, okay. But it, for them, it was just a cultural thing. It's just like saying, you know, God bless you when... You sneeze and you're an atheist, yeah. but you say it anyway because it's a cultural kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I would just try to think it through, pray about it, yeah. and it wouldn't surprise me if – for me, I was much more rigid when it came to things that were not explicitly in the Bible as a new Christian than I mm-hmm. am as a person who's been a Christian for over 30 years. Yeah, right. Sometimes we kind of lighten up and think, you know what, it's not what I thought it was. Sure, yeah. That makes sense. Yep. So I, you want to chime in on some of this? No, I was just going to say... If, do you if, do yoga? I No, I don't. I okay. have attempted yoga, and uh, that does, my body's not made to bend in those ways, <laughs> um, or much at all. So. Do, you, do you remember P90X? Yeah, it yeah. It was like a workout kind of yeah, yeah. thing. Did we, you do that? For a while we did okay. it, and you know, but we would do the yoga part, and they would say some things that were goofy, you know, empty sure. your mind kind yeah, of things, right. and my kids would just laugh. Yeah. You know, they would look at me like, "Of course we don't do that, Dad." Right? Yeah, because there's nothing, I mean, inherently sinful and satanic about stretching your leg and your hamstring, right? I mean, uh-huh. I'd, so I, I tie my shoes every day. That's my yoga experience. Downward dinosaur. <laughs> 
<laughs> I try to bend over and tie them. Oh, man. Now, I personally think that if Christians are going to do yoga, I would rather have it just be... I don't, don't, let's not make, I would rather not do Christian yoga. Yeah, I was just about, yeah, let's not I don't start know. Christian we, yoga. Let's not then. Christianize everything. Yeah. I'm sure some of you like to do your Christian version and all that kind of stuff, but it's yeah. not, not really where I'm at. Yeah. So and when I was in junior high, we were supposed to do yoga. And my, oh, really? my mother, I don't even know if she was converted, but she heard we were doing yoga and meditation in junior high, and she was fit to be tied. Really? She either called the school or went to the school. Oh, yeah? And let them know that we don't do, we don't do religion at Morton Junior High. Um, so did you have to do yoga she, from then on? No. She, she, she got the job done. Like she got a, it done. Like a typical Abendroth. <laughs> so, but her instinct was, you know, that's Hindu religion. And so we're not going to do that. So bravo to my mom, uh, for, for intervening. But I think later on, she probably lightened up about it. Sure. Yeah. Maybe you could do it, but I don't know. We'll see. All right. I, I celebrate Christmas and I think, and no, I just, I just opened up a huge can of worms <laughs> yeah. because there's a huge debate about the pagan origins of Christmas yes, and it's is, not yeah. a pagan origin and all this stuff back and forth. It seems to me, obviously the incarnation of Jesus is not of pagan origin, right? but it seems to me that we may have adopted some pagan things uh, mm-hmm. and made them Christian. So that's where I'm coming from. And yet I don't mind celebrating Christmas, even with some of those things, because I think they've lost some of their paganness. Right. I, I celebrate it more as an American and yep. it's an American right. holiday. Yep. Uh, and so cultural I, tradition, I, kind I of do thing. some of the cultural traditional things. Maybe when it first happened, um, I wouldn't have done it. I would have, prote- sure. yeah, I would have right. protested. Yeah. Yeah. But it's lost its bite. Same thing with things like Halloween. Right. And again, I realize people are going to fight about Harvest Festival. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. My kids are going as Dracula. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we can lighten up about some of this stuff. That's funny. Um, And and maybe one more thing for Brie would be let's, let's do focus on owning the big, important doctrines of the Bible and and maybe this other stuff, we just don't have to be quite so uptight about it. I don't mm, think your question yeah. is, it reflects you being uptight. No, yeah. See what I did there? Yoga, uptight. Oh. Anyway. So, <laughs> I, I'm a dad, right? I have five kids. I have to use well kind of da- dad humor. Good. But uh, I think your question is sincere and we appreciate it. So we just want to say... Um, if, if people really just want to blast you for your views, maybe you just want to find another friend <laughs> and, uh, don't talk to them about this in that context. Sure. Yeah. Uh, let them grow up a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Next question comes from Brent. Brent says, I have recently been listening to the podcast. Love it. He says, have read covenant theology. That's your book, Pat covenant theology and spurred on to take a closer look at the book of Galatians. So far. So good, Brent. Thank I, you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I want to understand the categories of law and gospel better since my upbringing was in dispensationalism. I went to Moody Bible Institute, which was Dispy. Uh, that is also where I started learning about reformed theology from a fellow student. So I have lingering foundational thoughts that are still tied to dispensationalism since that was my upbringing. Uh, Next, he says, all that to address a different topic. I'm also a cessationist with lots of years of study and interactions with charismatics. So I'm reading Galatians over and over again to better understand it, and I keep getting hung up on chapter 3. Paul tells the Galatians that they know they have received the Holy Spirit, and then he points to some evidence. How do I know I have the Holy Spirit? Do I just go by 
that the Bible tells me I do, which is how I've always functioned. Mm-hmm. I haven't had any miraculous experience that I can point to, like Paul seems to be telling the Galatians to do to prove that they have the Holy Spirit. Thanks. Okay. Wow. Awesome, Brent. Uh, let's start by uh, saying that I think you have had a miraculous experience, and it's called being justified by yep. grace alone through faith alone on account of Christ alone, greatest miracle ever. Yeah, and uh, and I mean that sincerely. So for sure, let's let's keep that in mind, and that's really what Galatians is about, right? Mm-hmm. Galatians is about whether or not justification is sola fide uh, through faith alone, or it's by faith and works. Mm-hmm. So that's what the whole book is about. So keep that in mind. That's the big deal. So. Don't lose sight of that being the purpose. The purpose, it's not about whether or not there's continuationism or not, or cessationism. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not really what, what's, what's being gotten at by the Apostle Paul. And also consider the Spirit's emphasis in Galatians, and this is really intriguing and fascinating. It's all about the already not yet reception of the eschaton, of the eschatological spirit mm. spoken of in the Old Testament. So... If you think about Galatians 3, 2, and 3, you receive the Spirit, you've begun by the Spirit, uh, and then you consider chapter 6, you're part of the new creation in chapter 6, verse 15. You're part of the new creation because you've received the end-time Spirit, Mm. if you will. And all of this comes from Isaiah, Isaiah 65, Isaiah 66. So it's this wonderful amazing reality that already not yet, you're already you know, a citizen of the future coming eternal kingdom. And it shows because you have the spirit. Yeah. Well, that's, that's miraculous. Yeah, right. Right. That's a miraculous reality. A good resource on this would be JV Fesco. He's getting a lot of shout outs. He today. is. Yeah. We should have him come to speak at a conference. We should. Oh, we are oh. October, 2024. That's right. So, but his Galatians commentary would, I think you would find helpful. Um, but he, he develops this a bit. So much of Galatians is about eschatology. It is about the spirit, the end time spirit. We receive it now. And how do we receive it? Do we receive it by faith and works? No, the argument of Galatians is no, you receive it by faith in Christ, period, not by faith and works. Mm. And so that that is, I would say, first and foremost, that is the miraculous activity. Mm, yeah. John says this, he presses his point even further by asking whether it was their obedience to the law that caused God to work miracles in their midst, or whether they received the gospel and its miraculous power by faith in Christ. And it's obviously the latter. It's not the former. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we can look at chapter three, verse five, where it does talk about works, miracles among you. And we can say, is he talking about sign gifts or is he talking about the miracle of eternal life in Christ and receiving the spirit? Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. But either way you take that, the book's, the, the book's not trying to concern itself with if you have not had a miraculous experience, you don't have the spirit. Right, right. Um, if you haven't spoken in tongues or if you haven't you know, been healed or healed someone, you don't have the spirit. That's not, that's not even on the table. Right. That's not what's yeah. going on there. So first and foremost, the miracle of new life in Christ, having received the eschatological spirit, um, which happens by faith, that, that's a miracle among you. And if the Galatians, because we're still during the time of the apostles, if there were extraordinary works going on, miraculous uh, works going on, um, 
again, it doesn't, it doesn't kill your cessationist argument that you'd get from Hebrews chapter one Hmm. or other texts like that. He's just saying, look, legitimate Christianity is happening. How is it happening? Hmm. Legitimate Christianity is happening because you've trusted in Christ. It's not because you've trusted in Christ. Plus you've been obedient. Yeah. All right, we're coming down to the last few questions here on today's Pactum Responsum. This one comes from Mark, and it is, What is the difference, if any, between sanctification and holy living, more specifically as it comes from the pulpit and when using the law with believers? Okay, well, lots going on there, Mark. We would acknowledge right away that even though sometimes we talk about justification and sanctification and we have them in separate categories and all that kind of stuff, which I think is helpful, sometimes the Bible does speak of sanctification in a positional kind of way. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's once and for all kind of thing, almost in a justification kind of way. Right. First Corinthians chapter six. So do keep that in mind. But we should also realize that it all it's all sola gratia. It's all by God's grace that we are sanctified. Mm. So Christ for pardon, as others have said, and Christ for power. So mm-hmm. it's all a free gift. It's not based upon our works. Um, justification is that way. Sanctification is that way. So let's keep that in mind. A good resource for this would be the Gospel Mystery of Sanctification by Walter Marshall, yeah. uh, which we've referenced in the past. But that's just you know preliminary because Mark, you're you seem to be talking about something different uh, because you're talking about the preaching and should we be using the law when it comes to sanctification? Should we be using the law when it comes to holy living? And uh, I guess it comes down to the fact that we need to realize that it's all of God's grace, and yet God does use the preaching of his word to grow us in holiness. Mm -hmm. And so we preach the gospel, we preach the law to drive people to Christ, we preach the gospel, uh, and and we have Christ and all of his benefits. Uh, So whether it be justification, sanctification, glorification, uh, it's all ours in Christ. But having said all of that, I I do know and acknowledge as a Christian preacher and who holds a law gospel distinction that when you're reading Romans and it says we're not under law, we're under grace, we're left with the question, what does he mean? Mm. Um, Well, he obviously means in context of Romans, we're not under law, under grace for justification, uh, for a right position before God. But he does go on to talk about obedience, and he speaks of obedience in relationship to legal categories. Mm -hmm. And so we are called to obey. We are called to do what's righteous and to do what's right. And in the third use sort of sense, the Bible uses God's word um, to help us to grow and help us to live our lives in conformity with Christ. But it's always flowing out of the gospel. It's always flowing out of our uh, union with Christ. Hmm. But I absolutely preach the law of God in its third use sense to help believers know what to do and how to live and how to think and how to conduct themselves. Sure. Yeah. So I hope that helps. Yeah. All right, this question comes from Evan. Evan says, appreciate the way you explain how to think about biblical issues and topics. have been greatly edified by your podcast, and he's excited to dig into the Covenant Theology book as his next book on his infinite list of books to read. (laughs) Good, good, good. My question is related to those who profess faith in Christ, but their life seems to state the opposite. Is it appropriate to conclude that someone is not saved or doesn't seem saved? 
If so, by what criteria? How long should these disqualifying behaviors be observed before coming to a conclusion? What are gracious ways to approach these people and call them to true faith and repentance? I understand that there is grace and patience involved in these situations and wanted your pastoral take on how to approach these situations. Excellent, Evan. Uh, I think there is a time when we question someone's salvation mm-hmm. and uh, maybe maybe the best place to start would be even with church discipline, mm. which seems to be a forgotten reality sometimes in the life of the church. So uh, it, when you look at Matthew 18 and also 1 Corinthians 5, uh, you you eventually get to somebody who's a so-called brother. Right. Now, I find that interesting as a pastor. The, the Apostle Paul uh, is is leaving some room there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet you, you you have this this really clear but strong reality of when you get to the fourth step of Matthew 18, um, you're treating them like an unbeliever. Mm. But notice there is a process that's been gone through. Yes. And yeah. so it's not just, you know, somebody really messes up and now we jump to step four. Right, yeah. I mean, it's it's meant to be a process and it's meant to be thoughtful. And let's add to that. Uh, when you ask about time, and I'm glad you ask about time because it's a good question, Evan. But part of it too is that's it's one of the reasons why we have elders in the church. The yeah, church does yeah. church discipline. We have elders who are to be called elders because there's some wisdom there, mm-hmm. right? Even if they're younger, like Timothy was, yeah, right, he's right. an elder because he's mature, and so there's thoughtfulness and there's care given different situations, different scenarios. I think it's one of the reasons why the Bible doesn't specify the exact amount of time. Mm, Yeah, yeah. The Bible doesn't tell us, probably for a reason. And so um, there there is a biblical category for people who profess to be Christians and they show themselves over time to not be Christians. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1 John 2, 19 would talk about those who went out from us, who were never really of us. So there's that. We also have passages like Matthew 13 and the parable of the soils where the, the gospel goes out and there are different responses over time, um, because of suffering, trials, persecution. So we, we do want to take these, these things into account. James two is the classic text. Uh, we do show evidence of our justification of our salvation, um, by our actions. Hmm. And so we justify our legitimacy to, uh, human beings who watch us. I think that's what James two is talking about. Pastorally, what would we say, Mike? We might say things like, I'm concerned about your spiritual condition. Yeah. Yeah. So we're trying to be we're trying to be kind and gracious and merciful. We're not the Holy Spirit. We don't know, but we do care for people. We do love people. We know that sin hurts people mm-hmm. and and hurts others. Um, and so I would want to say to someone, you know, I, I'm not sure what's going on, uh, but I'm concerned. I love you. I care about you. I I see bad things happening here. How can I help you? Yeah. And that plays itself into the Matthew 18 process as well. Yeah. So. We, we we don't know, but there is a time and place to say, I'm concerned, um, and there is a time and place to treat people like they're not Christians. Mm. Yeah. And we know that from the dis- discipline process. I, we probably don't give it enough attention, uh, the discipline process. Yeah, for sure. Maybe one other passage to talk about since it's on our minds, and it's the one people always go to, and I kind of want to um, give a little pushback, and that would be Matthew chapter 7. Hmm. 
And so in Matthew chapter seven, it's always, you know, look at these people, they don't do good works. So we know they're not Christians and Jesus will say to them on judgment day, I never knew you. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That'll preach. Um, I can, I can scare <laughs> some people with that. Right. I do find it interesting. I'm not ready to write a book about it yet or even an article, <laughs> but I might just float it out there on a podcast. There you go. So it's interesting in Matthew 7 because they actually are doing they are doing good works, hmm. right? That they, they do this in Jesus name and they do that. They're right. doing lots of things in Jesus right. name. They're doing good works in Jesus name and yet he says I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. And so it's kind of interesting. How could they be lawless when they're doing amazing things in the name of Jesus? Hmm. Maybe just something for us to consider in the grander picture of the Sermon on the Mount, where unless your righteousness, mm-hmm. your law-keeping law exceeds yeah. that of the scribes and Pharisees, uh, to quote him elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, unless you're perfect, mm-hmm. as your Heavenly Father's perfect, um, Oh, you, you won't be saved. You won't be justified. You won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Right. Maybe this is the issue. The issue is they're doing good works that they, they, they are doing good works. All right. But they're not perfect. Right. They're not perfect, perfectly obedient to God's law. Right. Yeah. And so Jesus doesn't have a love relationship with them. Yeah. I, I never knew you. I don't know you. He's. How could I know you? I would know you if you saw your sin and misery and mm, saw yourself yeah. as a lawbreaker and you turned to me to fulfill all righteousness. Yeah. I know you because you're united to me by faith. Think Psalm chapter two. How do you avoid the wrath of the son? Yeah. You avoid the wrath of the son by uni- being united to the son. Right. Yeah. So just something to think about as we keep our category straight, as we read Matthew seven in its context, um, things that make you go, hmm. hmm. Great. Okay, final question for our responsive episode today. This one comes from James. James says his question is, he was raised in church, attended a Christian school, went to a Christian college, all of which could be very Finney-esque, for which I have been against since I was young due to all the emotion altar calls cause. Uh, When a message is given, especially in a very evangelistic way, say in a missionary setting, should there be some call to action? If so, how would you give it? What are some words or phrases that would be good to wrap up the message? I love the question. Yeah, it's a great question. We're not big fans of Finney, just like you, James. Right. So Charles Grandison Finney, for those of you who don't know, James obviously does, but he's essentially the inventor of the altar call um, and the anxious bench. And he talked about the new measures and basically he could convert anyone Mm. um, as long as you follow, as long as you followed his, his approach, his methodology, Mm -hmm. he knew he could convert anyone uh, and the sad reality, but I'm glad it's a reality and I'm glad he at least said it Uh, at the end of his life. He said something along these lines, and that would be that uh, the majority of his converts are a disgrace to the Christian religion. Hmm. So he converted a bunch of people. The problem is that they were his converts. Right. They were, they weren't legitimate. So, um, what would we say? Well, I've spoken before at, you know, youth events, big, like fellowship of Christian athletes, kinds of events, love to do things like that. Love to preach evangelistic messages. And, and then I've been asked to do altar calls hmm. and, uh, I've, I've not done it because <laughs> I'm not, I'm not into that. Right. Uh, um, but I've also heard from well-meaning Christians that they do 
do such things because they even know the percentages hmm. as far yeah. as uh, there's going to be a better response. Yeah, right. Uh, my question is, is it really a better response? Yeah. So what should we say to people? What we should say, and you can see this coming, James, what we should say is what the Bible says. Yeah. So in Acts 16, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So that's what we say. Yeah. So we, we do call people to faith. We call people to trust in Christ. So you give them all the facts about the, the gospel and you tell them all the ins and outs, why they need Christ. I will do so with passion and zeal and earnestness, like I'm trying to help someone get out of a burning car, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I'm all about it. And, but hopefully I, I don't, not in a manipulative way, mm. but in a way that shows earnestness because I earnestly do care. And then it is, you, you must trust in Christ. Yeah. You need to trust in Christ. You must believe in him. I'll explain what belief means. I'll explain what trust means, but I will call. And it, it is an imperative in Acts chapter 16, mm-hmm. believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That will offend the hyper-Calvinists because they think somehow you don't have to right. call people to faith. Uh, and so it offended the hyper-Calvinists when Spurgeon did it. Um, but at the same time, Acts 13, 48 will offend the Arminians, <laughs> <laughs> which says, in effect, all those who had been appointed unto eternal life believed, right? So, so the beauty of it is our Bible, our understanding of the Bible, our Calvinism, if you will, shorthand for being biblical, uh, helps us to be good evangelists. Right. Yeah. We know that the Holy Spirit uses the preaching of the gospel to bring about faith in the lives of the elect. Yeah. Yeah. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Uh, but it's not up to us because we're not the Holy Spirit. So uh, I hope that helps you. Uh, it helps us to keep our heads on straight. One really helpful little book that you might find helpful, I know I certainly have. It's been a long time since I've read it, but that would be Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. Mm, yeah. Yep, we'll link to that in the show notes as well, along with all the other resources we've mentioned in today's episode. We do want to encourage you, if you do have questions for future Pactum Responsum episodes, you can be emailing us, connect at thepactum.org. We're so thankful for all of you for listening, for being a part of the Pactumverse. You can find us online on Instagram and Twitter. We'll see you next week on The Pactum. Pactum.